Welcome to Valley View Church's podcast. We hope this message encourages you. For more information about our church, check us out at vbchurch.org. Well, good morning, Valley View. We have a guest speaker this morning. Some of you may have heard of him. His name's Kevin Ham. And if you go ahead. If you don't know Kevin, he was pastor here from 97 to 06, roughly. And he had a big influence on this church and in this community. And in fact, part of the reason I wanted to introduce him is just, if you don't know him, you just need to know how much he deeply cares about this church. He cares so much about every one of you here. This is why he comes from Alabama to preach, takes a weekend, takes time away to come preach. He could be at his church, but he really cares about what God is doing here. In fact, I've heard from a number of you at time here and there that he has reached out to you. He remembered a birthday. He sent you a note, sent you a card years later. And my response to that is, why haven't you ever sent me a birthday card, Kevin? In fact, I want to see a show of hands of those who feel like they should get, no, don't, I'm kidding. Here we go. There's a few of you who are like, where's my birthday card? Listen, he cares deeply about this church. In fact, he's been a huge blessing to me over this last year. I can't tell you how many times I've called him. I've said, Kevin, what do I do? You messed this up. How do I fix it? What do I do? No. And he's, he's just full of wisdom. He's been in ministry a long time. God's blessed him. He's passed on a lot of wisdom to me. He's continuing to invest in this church and he cares a lot about you. Let's go ahead and welcome up Kevin Ham. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. I do. Thanks for coming. Well, it's uh, thank you, Pastor John. Thank you, brother. I'm, I'm honored and humbled. Um, and I say that, uh, you know, I, I don't say it lightly. I mean that. It's a great blessing to be back here. It's a joy and honor. Kim and I, some of our greatest ministry memories are right here at this church, right now, just walking in here. And man, I'm just flooded with emotions of uh, being here and serving here with great folks and, uh, and being under your uh, leadership today. Pastor John, thank you for inviting me back. Um, you know, some pastors, and I'm going to jump in the message, but some pastors will never invite a former pastor back um, for whatever reason. And I just appreciate your, um, you, you know, your, your security in yourself and uh, your love for the church. Yeah. If you're, if you're maybe you haven't been in ministry, you may not really understand the, the, the depth of that statement, but it means a lot that he has uh, uh, allowed me to come back and preach, and uh, we connected and have a friendship, and, uh, and I'm just grateful, and I appreciate you, because really what it says is his love for you in this church is greater than what you might just think about him personally, or that he might be compared. Preaching styles might be different. Leadership styles might be different. And they should be. That's the way God's designed us. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. And so, uh, and so I appreciate the fact that you love your people so much and uh, your security is in Jesus Christ that you would invite me to come back. And I, I hope you 
understand what I'm saying. That means a lot. And many, many pastors would never invite a former pastor back. That's just something you don't do. You don't want to face that comparison and all those kinds of things, stir up that hornet's nest again. Uh, and so I just, I'm really grateful and I appreciate you. Thank you for inviting me. And what a great weekend it is to be here. It's so good to be here. See all these young folks over here, man. I love this. I'm going to come over and preach on this side of the church. So I love this, man. You guys look great. Uh, in fact, when I, when I found out it was your, your youth, your student weekend kind of emphasis, I, I text your pastor. I said, are you sure you want me to come? I'm the old guy. You know, maybe they, they need a young guy to come. Somebody's hip, you know, somebody that's, that's with it. But he said, no, 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 we, we, we'll speak to them all weekend, but I really would love for you to come and, and share. So thank you, Pastor, for inviting me. Thank you. It's so good to see you again. Um, you know, I, I really come to you today really with a heavy burden for my church, for your church, for the church of God, the kingdom of God, because we really need a revival, a stirring in our nation. Um, I, I, you know, I would just say, if you want to turn to Joel chapter 2, I'm going to be in this little book called Joel in the Old Testament for the next few minutes. Um, you get to Hosea, it's just to the right. If you get to Amos, put on the brakes and go left. Joel chapter 2. Or if you got your app, you just turn it on, type in Joel, J-O-E-L, right? Joel chapter 2. And the truth of the matter is that uh, every, every godly principle and biblical value that we have really is under attack like never before here in America. Um, our, our nation has fallen far faster and further than I could ever dream or imagine. I mean, I have, I have three girls. In fact, my youngest daughter still lives at home with us. Kayla's 20 years old now. And so, uh, yeah, and she came in the other day and she said to me, hey, Dad, our, our Sunday morning um, service is recorded. It's on television there in Alabama. And she, my daughter came to me, Kayla, and said to me, hey, Dad, look, you got a lot of gray hair now. And she said, you're on television, so you really need to dye your hair. And I told her, I'm not going to do that. And she said, why? And I said, because I want people to know. And I have three daughters and my wife. I said, I want people to know the price I paid for living with four women. Right here it is. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, the truth of the matter is that my girls are growing up in a nation uh, that I don't recognize. It's a different world we live in now. And if we ever needed a, a move of God, if we ever needed God, an awakening, a stirring, it is now. We're facing tremendous challenges that we've never faced in our nation and even in our churches. And I'll be honest with you, as I, I, I as I'm rub shoulders with, the, I've never seen a time where pastors, churches, preachers, Christians, born again believers, Christ followers, I've never seen a time where they are experiencing more discouragement, more confusion, more disillusionment, more disappointment than they are right now. It really is at an all-time high. But it's not the first time that God's people and godly values have been under attack. In fact, we're going to be in Joel chapter 2. If you back up to Joel chapter 1, they're facing some real persecution. These locusts have shown up and eaten all their food, so they have nothing to feed their family. They have nothing to offer in worship. In fact, if you go to chapter 1 verse 12, the Bible says that their joy has vanished. Their joy has disappeared. And I kind of sense that in the kingdom of God, that it seems like our, our joy, our, our, our fervor for the Lord has kind of disappeared because it seems like, it seems like darkness is winning. 
it seems like the enemy is winning. And we say, God, where are you? What's happening? Don't you see our nations falling apart? Don't you look at every, every aspect of nature around us? Look at our schools. Look at our homes. Look at our families. Look at our churches. Look, look at all the violence and look at all the crime and look at all the murders and look at all the drugs and look at all. We're just spiraling out of control. God, where are you? And in the midst of, of this kind of falling apart in Joel chapter 1, God speaks to them and gives them a word. He tells them something very unusual. Chapter 2, verse 1. Joel chapter 2, verse 1. And here's what the word says. The word says, Joel 2, verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. So now stay with me. Here's my question. How do we as God's people, amen house, as far as you know, you say, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower. Would you lift your hand up? Come on. Would you lift the other one up? Come on. Wave it around a little bit. Come on, all right. Some of you had some most exercise you've done in a week. You're doing good now. Okay. So how do we, here's my question. Here's, how do we navigate these unusual days? How do we live out our faith in the midst of kind of all this darkness? How do we respond? In Joel chapter 1, they're facing this discouragement. Joel chapter 2, here's what God says to do. Sound an alarm. Sound an alarm. Sound an alarm. You see, God's people and God's church and God's word are under attack like never before. Can I get an amen in the church? So what do we do? Do we curl up in the corner, pull a cover over our blanket, you know, our heads and, and you know, and suck our thumb and hope it all goes away, right? What do we do? No, God says, look, here's what you need to do. You need to blow the trumpet. You need to sound an alarm. Now, stay with me now. Because my first reaction would be, well, that makes sense. We need to sound an alarm in Washington, D.C. What is wrong with those folks? Man, there's the problem. We need to blow the trumpet there. We need to sound the alarm in D.C. doesn't say that. Well, we need to sound the alarm in Congress, man. What is happening with all Man, listen, we need to blow the trumpet. He didn't say that. We need to sound the alarm in California. God knows they need it, but he didn't say that, right? <laughs> if you're from California, I'm sorry. But anyway, he didn't say sound the alarm in California. He didn't say blow the It's very interesting, right? He says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound alarm in my holy mountain. References to God's people and God's church. See, the point is that if revival happens, if an awakening, a stirring happens, I don't want to frighten you, but it'll happen in the house of God. You've heard it said many times, it won't be the White House, it'll be God's house. And it's so easy for us to kind of point to D.C. or, or point to Frankfurt and say, what, but you're the problem. Good night, get your act together. No, no, I'm the problem. You're the problem. The truth of the matter is the church has fallen asleep while the enemy has robbed us of our nation. So it's you, it's me that needs to wake up. It's so easy, right, to point to them and say, "You listen, we're going to sound an alarm. We're going to blow the trumpet to you. No, 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 to me, to you, to us. I need a stirring. My church, you need a stirring. Your church, we fall asleep. Sound an alarm. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. 
Wake up, church. Wake up, mama. Wake up, daddy. Wake up, grandpa. Wake up, grandpa. Wake up, teenagers. Wake up, senior adults. Wake up, pastor. Wake up, staff. Wake up, praise team. Wake up, church. Wake up. Wake up. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. This is what he says to us in these dark, discouraging days, church. It is time for us to sound the alarm. So what happens when we sound the alarm? What does that look like? What happens? Joel chapter 2 gives us some clear, very answers. Number one, when we sound the alarm, watch this, the fear of God comes on the people of God. Now watch verse 1 again. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on the holy mountain. Now watch this. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Indeed, it is near. When you sound an alarm, when the church wakes up, by the way, you, you, I know you're a preacher. I, I, know he, I know he's taught you. A, you understand you are the church. We're not talking about the, the seats and the carpet and the, the brick walls. You understand the church, listen, a, a, a tornado, could, by the way, it almost did Friday. I didn't know you didn't have power when I got up here. You know? I thought, wow, incredible. But listen to me, a storm could blow this building away and the church would meet somewhere. We might find us a hillside somewhere, find an oak tree somewhere, put us up a tent, head over to a softball field. But see, you understand, this building's not the church. You are the church, right? Come on, help me preach. You know that if, if you'll help me, it'll go faster. So look at your neighbor and tell him, you are the church. Come on, you are the church. That's right, you are the church. I right, so now here's the deal. When we sound the alarm, the fear of God comes on the people of God. Did you see that? See, to fear God means a a reverential awe, a a holy respect for God. That's true. But to fear God also means to fear God, to be afraid of God. And I think sometimes, me included, we've kind of done the people of God an injustice by not really teaching them it's healthy to fear God. I know people say, well, I don't, I don't want to have that kind of relationship where I, I'm afraid of God. And I understand that, but there is this aspect that there is a healthy, holy fear of a holy God. Example, Adam and Eve in the garden. They sinned, right? And the Bible says up to that point, God was showing up, kind of hanging out with them in the cool of the evening, right? With fellowship with them. And so when they sin, all of a sudden, God shows up. And what is Adam and Eve doing? They're hiding. You can, if you're taking note, chapter 3, verse 10, yeah. So here's God shows up again and says, Adam, where are you? Now they've sinned. So they're what? They're afraid. And so Adam looks to Eve and says, get down, get down. It's God. Right? And so God's coming to hear, because Adam, where are you? And Adam's like, Eve, shh, be quiet. They're hiding behind, now think about this, let this sink in. They're hiding behind a bush, trying to hide from the God who spoke the bush into existence. 
And it's almost like if you could see God, he's probably rolling his eyes. You know, you ever had kids? I remember when my, my youngest was, I'd get home, she wanted to play hide and seek with me. Yeah, hey, Dad, let's play hide and seek. I said, okay, I'll count and you hide, right? I said, I'll count to 10, you go hide. And she'd say, okay. And I start counting 10, 9, 8, and I could see I, I could see her feet right there. And I said, wait a second, you don't understand how the game's played. I'm going to count, you go hide, I'll find you. Okay, Daddy, I got it, I got it. I said, okay, here I'm going to go. Count from 10 to 1. 10, 9, 8, and she scatters off a little bit. And I get 3, 2, 1, 0. Ready or not? Here I come. And I, I tell you, and I look, and she'd be standing right in the middle of the room with her hand over her eyes. And then I would play this little game, right? You know, where are you, Kayla? Are you under the tape? No. Are you in the closet? No. And the whole time she's laughing, you know, got her eyes like that. I can't find her, you know. And finally I'd say, oh, there you are, right? And she'd uncover her eyes. Oh, we'd have a great time. That, that's kind of the scene here we have. Adam and Eve are hiding. Why? They're afraid of God. They've sinned. Uh, we do the same thing, really, don't we? If you think about it, we, we you, you've worked all day. Your illustration, you've worked all day, you're tired. You come home, you know, maybe you're getting some in your, your comfortable clothes, right? And you get on your favorite chair. Maybe you got your remote in one hand. you got a sweet tea so big, you can drink it or swim in it, you know, in the other hand, right? And you're sitting there in your recliner, right? It's about 7, 7.30, right? And all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. Get down. Now we, we, now, we didn't grow up like that, did we? My generation, no, we didn't grow up like that. I can remember my grandmother's house. She, she'd go to her house. She never locked the doors. She'd have the garage door. It was always up. I didn't even know it could be shut. You could, you could just walk. It would never was locked. Not nowadays. Boy, when we get home, we pull in that garage, man. We turn on that security system. We get those Doberman pinchers out. We got floodlights on to detect motion. We hunker down for the night. And all of a sudden, at 7.30, there's a knock at the door. And it's like, are you serious? Get down. And so everybody in the family is hiding, right? Turn off the television. Be quiet. There's a killer at the door. It's just aware. And, it's, and if you can, you, you army crawl over to the door. Who, who is that? Right? And you, you look up there and you look through the peephole or maybe through the blinds. You think, who is the nut standing on my porch at 730 at night? And you look out there. Why, it's Pastor John standing right there. What's he What's he doing? <laughs> Let me tell you something. When we sound the alarm, the fear of God comes on the people of God. And by the way, if more people feared God, we'd be a whole lot better shape than we are right now. We have a generation of folks who want to celebrate their sin and parade their sin and mock God and mock His holy word. I, I tell my young folks, I, I couldn't be more excited or proud of young people. If you're living out your faith in these days, it's much different than when we lived our faith out in our days. Things are under attack. They never Listen, if you stand on the word of God, if you attend church on a regular basis, if God is really, you are, you are ridiculed for that, the word of God is mocked. You can't believe the word of God. I'm telling you, listen to me. Here's what the word says. The Bible says, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth. And one day, every tongue will confess. One day, every atheist will confess. One day, every agnostic will confess. One day, every scoffer. One day, every doubter. Friend, one day, Oprah will confess. One day Lady Gag Gag will, well anyway, I won't go there. You, 
One day, I'm telling you, every leader, every CEO, every king, every, every, listen, one day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord. And you can confess this side of heaven or the other side of heaven, but make no mistake about it. One day, you will confess Jesus is Lord. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. And the fear of God comes on the people of God. Secondly, the people of God return to God. Slip down to verse 12, Joel chapter 2. Watch this. Yet even now. Would somebody in the house say even now? One more time. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting and weeping and mourning and tear your heart and not merely your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Twice he says that, return to me. Return to me. The people of God will return to God. And notice the urgency, even now, do it now. Don't wait till you feel like it. Don't wait till the crowd joins you. They may not join you. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Don't wait for the kids to grow up and leave. They'll come back and bring more with them. Even now, even now, now's the time. Now's the time. And notice how he tells us to return to God. Watch this. He says, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. May I ask you a sobering question today that I must ask myself and ask my church? Where is the fasting, the mourning in our churches? Where are the tears in our churches? Where's the weeping? Where's the brokenness in the church? Well, the church, we know how to do church, right? We know how to sing. We know how to worship. We know how to preach. We know how to have crowds. We, we know how to organize. We know how to administrate, sure, but where is the Holy Ghost repentance? Repent and return to God. Repent and return to God. Repent and return to God. And I, I know this is kind of a heavy message. I know. I, I, honestly, I kind of struggled even preaching this message just as a visiting preacher to come in and kind of rally the church to revival. But I know your pastor's heart and I know your leadership's heart. And I know you can see what's happening in our nation. And I struggle. I know it's kind of a heavy message. I'd love to come in and kind of preach a, you know, a cotton candy sermon and everybody feels good and we have a wonderful time. We high-five one another and got warm fuzzies. I can't wait till next week. But I'm telling you, folks, these are desperate times we're living in. Charles Finney, a great evangelist from the 1800s, this is what Charles Finney said, and I want you to hear this. And I quote, The first step is a deep repentance, a breaking down of heart a getting down into the dust before God with a deep humility and a forsaking of sin. He said that in the 1800s. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm, pastor. Sound the alarm, preacher. Hey, church, wake up. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. Would you shout it with me? Come on. Sound the alarm. One more time. Sound the alarm. Number three, I'll tell you what happens. The church of God will come together. Watch this. Blow a trumpet. Verse 15. Look at it. Verse 15. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. 
proclaim a solemn assembly. Watch this, verse 16. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the leaders. Gather the children. You see this coming. Listen, I'm not an expert. But many of you, and I have had an opportunity from time to time, to see some amazing, phenomenal movements of God. And in every instance, there was a unity which permeated the church in amazing ways. Folks were repenting, they were forgiving, they were loving, they were hugging necks, they were laughing. There was a divine unity that broke the enemy's bondage of bitterness and hatred. When revival happens... The church of God comes together. Listen, you'll never experience a mighty move of God fighting with the people of God. Don't make me shout myself now. Come on now. I will come down there and say amen to my own preaching. Come on now. It goes quicker. Listen to me. We'll never experience a mighty move of God fighting with the people of God. It's just not going to happen. God's not up there in heaven saying, I'm looking to pour out my presence, my power, my spirit. And he looks down at the congregation, and he sees them in conflict, and he sees them always arguing and complaining and whining. You think God's going to say, man, there's a spot right there. There's some folks that are hungry, desperate for me. I'm going to pour out my spirit. No, no, no. God's looking for people who say, oh, God, we need you more than we need our next breath. I'm telling you, when you sound the alarm, I'm telling you, the church of God comes together. Oh, the, somebody said, mercy. I had a lady say that to me not too long ago, and I don't know what, maybe I'm getting, I don't know, maybe I'm getting cranky my lady. But she said to me, Pastor, somebody said, my seat. I said, well, you need to get her earlier, don't you? Right. Well, coffee's cold. Coffee's cold, and you know nobody. You know, and nobody gave me. Nobody gave me a key to the thermostat, and you know we stand too long. We sit. I don't like the new songs. I don't like Fiosa. Nobody asked me to sing. That's because you can't sing, Bubba. That's why they didn't ask you to sing. I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know it all. But I'm just telling you, when the presence of God and the power of God and the favor of God and the glory of God shows up, I'm telling you, all those little silly arguments, all your little personal perks and personal opinion, all that dissipates. Our focus is on God. Oh God, we need you. God, we need you. God, we need you. And all that dissipates. All that disappears. Because our heart for God is greater than our own personal preferences. Oh, God, we need a movement. Look at our nation, folks. I don't want to be alarmist, but look at our nation. Look at our schools, war zones, drugs on every corner, human trafficking in every community. Oh, it used to be kind of, you know, just in the metropolitan area. That's not true anymore. Every neighborhood, every, every community, every little village is bombarded permeated by by drugs and violence and crime our nation's falling apart while the church come and we sing our few little ditties preach our sermon and shake our hands eat our donuts drink our coffee and go home thinking we've done god a favor folks these are desperate times it's time to wake up sound the alarm sound the alarm people of god come together not too long ago i was vacationing and with my, my, my wife and I have gone down to Panama City with our girls for years. In fact, it started in this very church. Uh, Gene and Carlene Lawrence had a place down there in Panama City and said, hey, we, we'd like for you guys to go down there and uh, just uh, recharge your battery a little bit. And so they were so gracious and kind. And we went down there and uh, I blame them now for the next 30 years we've been going down there. But uh, 
Anyway, we were down there several years ago, and there was another family from our church down there at the same time, and they said, hey, Pastor, uh, we, could we maybe take you guys to dinner and maybe come over afterwards, and we have a little small trailer place there, a cup of coffee, dessert or something. I said, be great, no problem. So Kim and I met them, we had dinner, went over to their place afterwards. We walked in this little trailer they had, and they had a little chihuahua, a little dog, we walked in there, that little dog just began to nip at my heels the whole time. I don't know why. He wasn't bothering anybody else, just me. And he just foaming at the mouth like he's going to rip my leg out. <laughs> he was only about six inches tall, weighed about three pounds. I could have killed him. God knows I wanted to, but it wasn't my dog. And I kept trying to carry on a conversation. You know what it's like trying to carry on a conversation with a chihuahua nipping it? And I was like, and Kim's, I'm looking at Kim saying, what is the deal? And I'm looking at, you know, do they not see this? Are they blind? Can they not hear? You know, get away from me. What is wrong with you? It's a backslidden deacon. Get away. What are you doing? It just, it went on and went on. I, it wasn't, it probably 10 or 15 minutes. It seemed like an hour to me. And I kept looking at Kim thinking, are they ever going to do anything? This little thing just, just the whole time, you know, and I keep shooting away, shooting away. Finally, finally, uh, the, the husband, the, the owner leaned over the, and he thumped the dog right in the head. Pow. And that little dog, man, I'm telling you, he stuck his little tail between his legs. They had one little hallway down that trailer. And he went all the way down, all the way down that trailer into the little back bedroom, you know. We finished our, our time together. And I got in the car and I looked at Kim and I said, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could do that with some church members every now and then? Wouldn't that be good? Yeah. We stand too long. Stop it. We don't act that way. Right? Somebody, somebody, somebody said, Marcy, stop it. We don't act that way. I don't, you know, I'm, I, I just love it. I'm going to retire. Not tell my folks I'm retired. And I'm just going to go around that very last Sunday thumping everybody in the head I've been wanting to thump in the head. <laughs> Hear me today, church. You want a movement of God? You want a stirring and awakening? Don't you see desperate times? You sound the alarm, and the people of God come together. Oh, we may not agree on every little thing, but we know this. We serve the same God. We're on the same team, and we need a movement from God in our nation right now, and it begins right here in this house. You know, my prayer is I'll go back to Alabama. God knows they need a movement. I'm going to go back there, and I, I want my folks, my family to say, what happened to you, Dad? I said, man, I went up there to Louisville, Kentucky, and God sat down on the house again. And I'm not the same husband, I'm not the same father, I'm not the same preacher, I'm not the same pastor, because God showed up, and when God shows up, hear me today, nothing is ever the same. Sound the alarm! Sound the alarm! Sound the alarm! Number four, when you sound the alarm, the church leaders weep for revival. Look at verse 17. Let the priest, my translation says, the Lord's ministers, let them weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare your people, Lord, and do not make your inheritance a disgrace with the nation jeering at them. Why should those among people say, Where is their God? Now, notice something. I want you to hear this. This is the priests, the church leaders, the priests. I want to make this very clear. The pastors, the staff. Did you see that? Verse 17. Let, let, let the priests... The Lord's ministers weep at the altar. Hear me. The staff, the deacons, the teachers, the musicians, 
the praise team, the leaders of the church are weeping at the altar, begging God to move in their lives and in the life of the church. We can't lead people to a place we haven't been. We can't give away what we don't have. Where is that kind of passion in our churches? Listen, I wouldn't stay, maybe it's because I'm getting older, I wouldn't stay a skinny second in a church where the leaders are not seeking the face of God, weeping at the altar for revival. Thank God you have a pastor and a staff that are seeking the face of Almighty God. Listen, in the end, it's not about your talent. You can find talent at Disney World. It's not about your gifts, your charisma, your education, your skills. No, how long has it been since you've been at the altar weeping for revival? Churches have become businesses run by CEOs using marketing strategies rather than the people of God in the house of God, seeking the face of God, hearing the man of God, preach the word of God with the fire of God for the glory of God. Sound the alarm! Sound the alarm! Could I dig a little deeper? Uh, okay, I'll be gone. I'll be gone soon. But listen, our, listen, truth, listen. I know I sound like the old man get off my grass, but hear me. Churches have gifted communicators. We have engaging teachers. I get it. They have their gift to the body. We have incredible storytellers. But listen, what we need are some old-fashioned men of God who will stand in the pulpit of God and will preach the holy word of God with the holy fire of God and the holy anointing of God. We need a man of God to stand in the pulpit and preach the word. Listen to me. In these crazy mixed-up days, it's not popular to preach the Word. It's not cool to preach the Word. They might even unfriend you if you preach the Word. But I want to tell you, our nation's in a mess because the church has fallen asleep. There was a day and age where you could go to any church anywhere in any neighborhood. Boy, and I tell you, you'd have a preacher who'd just preach a cover off the Bible. He'd rear back, get a word from God, and preach the holy word of God. You don't have that much in our nation anymore. We have a lot of great talks, how to be a successful parent, how to raise great kids, how to be a wonderful friend. But where is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Where's the word of God? The Bible says in the last days there'll be a famine. Listen to me. Not from food, but from the word of God. That's where we're at in America, right? Thank God you have a church that's standing preaching on the holy word of God. It's not popular. It's not cool. I get it. But in the end, the grass will wither, the flower will fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. I will tell you, young people, it may not be cool. It may not be acceptable. I'm telling you, I don't know what Hollywood will say about it, but I'm telling you, if you'll stand on the Word of God, if you'll live by the Holy Word of God, if you'll follow the Word of God, if you'll love and live the Word of God, you will never regret it a day in your life. I guarantee you that. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill, one of my favorite evangelists, one of my favorite revivalists, he passed, he went to glory in 1994, 1994, 29 years ago. This is what he says. I want to read this to you, and I'm going to give these last two points. Hear this now. He said this probably 30, 40 years ago. This is what he says. The church right now has more fashion than passion. Well, I'll leave it alone. But it it is more pathetic than prophetic. It is more superficial than supernatural. 
sound the alarm. Number five. I've only got six. Are you okay? There's no, there's no clock in here. Is there a clock in here? I don't, okay. I don't see it. All right. No, number six. God responds and his people rejoice. When you sound the alarm, watch this now. I'm almost done. Hang with me. God responds. That's shouting. Right? You ought to clear you off spot and have your little Pentecostal fit right there. I said, when we sound the alarm, God responds. He, he's, he's not up in heaven, uh, you know, untouchable. No, no, he's waiting for his people. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God is waiting on us. The problem's not God. It's me. It's you. It's us. Look at your neighbor. Say this with a smile, but this is good. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you're the fault. You're the problem. You're the problem. Yeah. You're the yeah, I see some of you married folks, chickens. I see some of you husbands. I got to go home with her preacher. I ain't saying that. I, I get it. I get it. I understand. No problem. I'm just saying to you, don't miss the point. When we sound the alarm, when we repent, when we come to God, he will respond. Can I get an amen in the church? He responds. And when he responds, what do we do? Well, we rejoice. I'll just, you can read it, but I'll just look at verse 23, Joel 2, 23. So shout for joy, sons of Zion, children of God, and rejoice in the Lord your God. And you can read it. You want to, I'll save the time because God has moved. He's restored back. He's given them back what the enemy has stolen from them. By the way, if you will come to God, he will rebuild what the enemy has stolen. And see, when God does what only God can do, his people will rejoice. When we realize once again, there is no God like our God. In fact, he says that right in verse 27. So you'll know that I'm in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. There is no God like our God. And so when we get that, our response is to rejoice. I love to watch folks in worship when we're singing these great songs of the faith about his resurrection and about his power. He's a mighty God in the forgiveness of our sins. I'm going to tell you, has anybody in the house had your sins forgiven? Yeah. Well, some of you, some of you need to tell your face. Evidently, it ain't got the message. I always take a look out there. We're singing these awesome songs. Our God's a mighty God. You got your lipstick out so it looks like you've been baptized in prune juice. And you're saying, Are you serious? Are you kidding me? Has he saved you? Has he delivered you? Has he set you free? There's got to be a little passion, a little enthusiasm. There must be a little joy. Listen, no one, this worship pastor should not have to beg you, prompt you, or motivate you to rejoice. God has been far better to me than I deserve. Anybody in the house say God's been better to me than I deserve? Yeah, far better to me than I deserve. No doubt about it. But our nation's in a mess. And you come to church and sit there like a knot on the log, give God 43 minutes and say, oh, God, change my life in 43 minutes. I'm out of here. You check a box. I may be back next week if there's nothing better to do. You can't do that in these last days. God is looking for a hungry people, for a desperate people. The Word says it this way. With our lips, we praise Him. Oh, we know how to sing the songs. We know how to preach the sermons. We know how to teach the Bible lessons. With our lips, we praise Him, but our hearts are far from Him. You sound the alarm. God responds. People rejoice. 
I was preaching a few years ago, and it was just one of those, Pastor John, it was just one of those incredible days where God just showed up, you know, and I mean, just you have those special mountaintop, and God's always in the house, you understand, but sometimes he just pours out his spirit in a special way. I mean, folks were at the altar, and we had some baptisms, and we had some tears. You could literally see our, stained, our, our wood-stained steps with tears on them, and made it just a great movement. The worship was passionate. I felt like the preaching that day was on point, not every week, but that day. I mean, it was just, it was just, a, it was just one of those great hallelujah days. You know what? I, come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? Just you, you, It's one of those days you walk out and say, boy, it has been good to be in the house of God today, right? Yeah. And, I, and so we had one of those days, the service was ending, and there was a precious older lady walking up toward me down the aisle. And I thought, boy, she's going to come and encourage me and speak life into me. And, you know, this is going to be wonderful. And she's such a precious lady. And we had this great guy. And she looks at me, she says, preacher. I said, what? The choir chairs aren't centered. I said, excuse me? She said, the choir chairs, they're not, there's too many on one side. That's what you got out of the service. I mean, God's in the house. Folks are being saved. Lives are being changed. The baptistry's being stirred. People at the altar, the power of God, the favor of God, the glory of God. And you, 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 you say, the, the choir chairs aren't, aren't, they're off. I said, girl, that ain't the only thing that's off. I'm telling you, friends, when we get hungry for God, when we get desperate for God, Jesus said it this way, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be filled. He's just waiting on me. He's waiting on you. Let me give you the last one. When we sound the alarm, the Spirit of God falls. Watch verse 28 and 29. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams. Your young men will see visions. And even on the male and female servants, watch this, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Sound the alarm. And if we ever needed Holy Spirit power, it is now. We have a church on every corner. We have a bigger mess we've ever had. I mean, I'm not, I'm not down on church plants. I, I just like planting them in areas that are unchurched where there's a lot of lost people. Louisville's a lot like Birmingham. We got more churches and we have Dollar General stores, Targets, and Walmarts put together. You can't throw a rock in any distance and not hit a church somewhere. And I'm not down on that. I'm just simply saying we have more church than we've ever had and our nation's falling apart. How do you explain that? We sing songs, but no power. We preach sermons, but no power. We have church. We got gatherings. We have great fellowship, incredible facilities, but we don't have the Holy Ghost power in our churches. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. And the Spirit of God falls. The Spirit of God falls. The Spirit of God falls. How does that happen? Sound the alarm. In Zion. Could you, could you just admit today, could, could we admit together that for whatever reason, your fervor, your passion, your fire for God is not where it used to be? And it could be a hundred reasons why. COVID, man, that was, that, that's been a hard, it's been a hard two or three years with that. And it, it kind of zapped our passion, our energy, our, our enthusiasm for church and for God. We still got some folks that ain't been back. The FBI can't find some of our folks. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I get it. I understand. 
And maybe that, or maybe all the political unrest and the bickering and the fighting has just zapped your energy. Maybe the, the financial chaos that we find ourselves with, the economy, we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe the issues with Russia and, and China and Ukraine. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just your season of life. But as we close today, could you just admit, yeah, my, my fire is not where it used to be. The music doesn't move me like it did. The, the preaching, it, it's on point, but it doesn't, it doesn't challenge me like it used to challenge me. I, I don't have the same excitement about coming to the house of God that I used to have. I, I, I've just, I've, somewhere along the line, my, my, my fire's not burning like it used to burn. I, I, it's just not there, preacher. When my girls were younger, we would go down to Florida and we'd, they'd want to find seashells, right? And so Kim would get her beach chair out and she'd sit on the beach and I'd take those girls down and we'd you know, go down about two or three feet of water and we'd have that little green bucket and then that real sturdy, strong, yellow, six-inch plastic shovel. You know what I'm talking about, right? And we'd dig in that water, right? And we'd find us a shell and we'd, we'd wash it off and put it in the bucket and we'd find another. We'd been in there about maybe 20 minutes or so. And we looked up, and in those 20 minutes, I don't know how, but someone had literally picked up our condo and had moved it all the way down the shore. Kim in her beach chair, too, just picked her up and moved her right all the way down there. And I looked at Lindsay Lawn and I said, well, look, there, there's mom way back. There's our condo. How in the world did that happen? They didn't move. We did what we call, we drifted. Wait a second. We didn't know it. We didn't realize it. The condo didn't move. Kim didn't move. We moved. Listen to me. And we didn't know it. That's where the church is in America right now. God hasn't moved. We've moved. You've moved. I've moved. And we don't even realize it. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. Would you pray with me? Could we pray together just for a moment? I want to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit. Yeah, could you just play? That'd be awesome. Yeah. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, what do you do with what you've heard? James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. What am I going to do with what I've heard? What are you, sir? What are you, ma'am? How about you, teenagers? College students? Grandmas, grandpas, widows? What are you going to do with what you've heard? I know maybe we've gone just a little bit longer than normal. I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. You've never given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. This is the moment. This is the day. So I don't know how to do that. Our staff, our, our leaders will be here. You just come and say, I need Jesus. Or maybe you'd be honest enough to say, you know, I've lost my fire and my fervor. Man, as our brother plays, I, I just want to I just want to give you an opportunity to come to the altar just one more time and Pastor will close us out. I don't want to belabor this. But church, we've drifted and we don't even realize it.
So just in the holiness of this moment, maybe you want to just turn and get on your knees if you're physically able on the chair in front of you. Maybe you want to lean on the chair. I, I don't know. Maybe you want to come to this altar. Just all across the front, just for a moment. We're not going to labor a long time. Just for a moment to say, God, I'm not leaving here the same way I came. I need a stirring. Come by yourself or come with your spouse. Come with your family. You're a leader of this church. The Bible says the leaders were at the altar. I invite you to come. Lord, I pray right now for a holy freedom in this place. God, we're not leaving here the same way we came. Stir a fire in this place today, God. Well, our heads are bowed. Come on, there's freedom in this house. Come on, from the balcony, on this main floor, from the front to the back, from the right to the left. Come on, from the top to the bottom, there's freedom in this house. You want to come, clear you off a spot. If you can't kneel, just come and sit on this front row. There's some seats right up here up front. You just come and just and just kneel. In a moment, our pastor will close that as he feels comfortable and feels led, however you guys want to do it. But I'm asking you to ask God for a stirring, a revival, and an awakening. Yes, that's right. God, our hearts are not where they used to be. God, we come home today. We come home to you today, if I... Store a fire in us, Lord. We're not leaving the same way we came. Yes, come on. There's freedom in this house. Find you a place, just you and God, and do business with the Lord. Yes, that's right. Yes. 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 Mm. Yes, Spirit of God, fall. Spirit of God, fall. Oh, God, we sound the alarm today. Moving our hearts and our lives. Oh, God. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep at the altar. Oh, God, this is the day. This is the moment where we never be the same because we've been in your house today. Yes. Come on, there's freedom in this place. Yes. God, we thank you for this morning. Jesus, we're so grateful for your word that guides us. And we know it's because of what you have done for us that we can even respond and have a chance of responding in gratitude. I do pray that this morning would be a turning point for us. That from this moment forward, our church would be all about submitting to you. And be like the people in the book of Joel, mourning, weeping for you to move. I pray this would be a place that people know that you are alive, that you are at work, and that you are stirring. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for this morning. And we pray in your name, your mighty name, your powerful, your precious name, your holy name.
your name above all other names. The name we can depend on more than anything else in life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.